Welcome everyone. It's great to see you here and truly grateful that you did come out on this uh, day to uh, be here in worship. And we are warming our hearts uh, in the Lord's presence today. So welcome. So great to see you. I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and if you're using a Bible that's provided for you there, you'll see one under the seat in front of you, and you can turn to page 986 in that Bible, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I want to add my encouragement that uh, was just made by Al earlier in making announcements to encourage you about tomorrow night's prayer service. Uh, It's our intention every several weeks to have these on Monday nights, and several weeks ago, we had an incredible night of prayer. If you were here, we were blessed by God's presence in such unique ways, and so I hope that you'll come. I saw a little encouragement out to the church family this week about the the prayer gathering, but uh, just a reminder, I've never forgotten what I heard a pastor say one time, that the greatest thing he'd ever learned in his ministry and it was an astounding ministry. He said the greatest truth he ever learned was this, God answers prayer. <laughs> and when you know that truth and live by that truth, it changes everything. Uh, we're celebrating answer prayer this morning as a congregation. Uh, one of our dear members, Bob Godsmark, has been a member here for uh, well over 25 years with his family, but he had very serious brain surgery uh, on Wednesday. And God just answered prayer in incredible ways. He went home on, on Friday, I think. And uh, doing well, I talked to him last night and he wanted to send his love and appreciation. So you continue to pray for uh, Bob as he recovers from this surgery for Rita's wife and family. But again, that has happened so many, many times in varieties of ways, not just physical, where God demonstrates that he answers prayer. So I encourage you, if you possibly can, join us on tomorrow evening at 7 o'clock because we have just a wonderful time of prayer together. Now this morning we are continuing a series that we began a couple of weeks ago leading us into this new year. And you'll notice on the front of your bulletin the, the theme of it is Echo, Echo, Reproducing Gospel Life in Others. And that theme is taken from what the Apostle Paul said about the Christians in the city of Thessalonica. He said in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, in verse 8, he said that the word of the Lord sounded forth from you. It has sounded forth and continues to sound forth is the idea, not just in your area, in your region, Macedonia, in Achaia, and all around the world. I thought that would be a wonderful focus for us in this new year. It is truly, I hope, our desire as a church this year as never before and the years to come to echo the word of the Lord. To echo the word of the Lord. We began a couple of weeks ago talking about how a church does that collectively. We must do that with great intentionality, we must be intentional, we must be relational, and we must also be very, very missional. That led us into this this series. Last Sunday, if you were here, Jared uh, did a wonderful job of speaking how that 
ministry of sounding forth, echoing the gospel in the lives of others, reproducing the gospel life in others, happens in individual lives. A church can only do that as we as individuals do that. And that is how the gospel is sounded forth as we are people who are reverberating with the reality of Jesus Christ. And so that as we have been impacted by the life of Christ, we are reverberating with his reality and wherever we go, we are impacting others. That's a fine message Jared brought last week and if you did not hear it, there's a wonderful message available out in the lobby or go online and hear it. But this morning, I want us to look at what Paul has to say as we continue this theme in chapter two, and we're going to read verses one through six together. So this morning, let's continue this idea of being people who echo the gospel, even in adversity. And here's what Paul had to say about that. He said in chapter two, verse one, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as the apostles of Christ. Now, just a couple nights ago, my wife Susan and I were once again trying to catch up with technology. <laughs> Any folks here of a certain age that <laughs> continue to try to do that? Just a little bit, just try to catch up with technology. And I have found I am never going to get on top of that wave. It is not going to happen, but I'm trying. So we, uh, we got this adapter for our, our television. And uh, maybe some of you have it. it it's, we don't have the Apple TV yet. About this Apple adapter that you can put on your television set. And so... Uh, my wife worked through all that and we worked at it collectively and finally we, we got the thing set up and I couldn't believe all these options that come up on the screen. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm, I was just staggered by all of these things that came up and, and then uh, Susan connected her, her iTunes account and so it, it started playing through our television set, Susan's music. And, you know, I, I didn't realize how much heavy metal she had on there and all kinds, of, all kinds of grunge stuff there. But, you know, she's... We'll talk about that later, okay? 
But, but as we're there with our iPhones and, you know, got the, the iMac out and, and this I'm, I said to her, what are we doing? What is this? I, I mean, what, what are we doing? I started thinking about, I, I kind of feel the way I felt about my dad when he talked about Model T Fords and stuff like this, you know. And I started thinking, I, I'm listening to this incredible music through my television coming off of this account that is somewhere. And yet I can remember back with, you know, as a little boy, my, my Aunt Frances lived with us for a while, listening to her 78s. Some of you remember those? Yeah. Yeah. Those records were so thick, you had to have about a three horsepower motor just to turn those things. And they sounded scratchy. You remember that? Now, now that's so retro, that's become cool now. You know, yeah, that scratchy sound, you know. We got it all the time. <laughs> then we had 33s. Remember those? And then the 45s came out. And you had to have that special, you know, connector on top. And you'd stack them up about this high, you know, and play those things. You know, and some of you, some of you guys, you're just wondering, what is he talking about? Google it. Just Google it. Okay. All right. <laughs> But then the 70s came. Yes, the 70s with eight track cassettes. Oh, those were something, right? About that big, you push those things in there, got your songs through your dashboard, awesome. Now the problem was, you only got to hear it once, then it took an hour to loop back through. You remember that? Then a whole new world opened with cassette tapes. Cassette tapes. And some of you may remember, you know, maybe you didn't quite have a cassette player that reversed very well and you'd get your pencil out and turn them backwards. (laughs) I remember a commercial. When those tapes first came out, there was a commercial on television of Ella Fitzgerald, this beautiful voice that she has. And she's singing. And she hits a high note and it shatters this wine glass. And then you find out that it really was her voice. It had been captured on Memorex tape. <laughs> and the commercial would say, is it real? Or is it Memorex? Remember those? Okay. Now that experience of how far we've come, and then that, that incredible recording of sound so that it, 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 is, it is completely authentic. All that reminds me of what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He is saying, as he speaks to these Christians at Thessalonica, and the Holy Spirit is not speaking just to them. He's speaking to each of us here today. That our lives should be so impacted by the reality of Jesus Christ and his gospel 
that Christ, his message, his life is echoing in us. It's authentic. We're not just mimicking, but we are reproducing the authentic message of the gospel with our lives, with our words. This morning, I want us to think about this as we consider what it means to be people who are ringing with authenticity. Our lives are to echo the gospel, but we only produce an echo of the gospel if there's authenticity in our lives. Ringing with authenticity. Now Paul is dealing with that in these verses I just read because Paul, having only spent three weeks there in Thessalonica and having to be sneaked out of town by his friends, has been so concerned about the believers, how they're doing, that he, he cannot rest until finally Timothy comes to Corinth. That's where Paul is when he writes this letter. And he gives the message of how well these Christians are doing as they are continuing to sound forth, to echo the gospel. But, Timothy says, Paul, there's a problem. Because your enemies there are attacking your character. They're saying you're a phony. They're saying you're not the real thing. And it's causing a little weakening of some of our brothers and sisters. And so Paul does what he hates to do. He has to defend himself because what is at stake is bigger than himself. It's not about him at all. It's about him, the Lord, and it's about them, his brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he writes to assure these believers that he is authentic and his ministry has been authentic. And what he says about himself is an incredible gauge of how we ought to measure ourselves, measure our sound waves. Do we ring with authenticity? Now notice, Paul says first of all, as he talks about his authenticity, he says that he has been an authentic gospel messenger. He's been an authentic gospel messenger. And the key word there is authentic, genuine, tested, proven. And he says in verses one and two, this has been proven. Who I am has been authenticated. He says, you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. It wasn't empty. I didn't come there as a a hollow huckster of religion. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Now notice, Paul is a messenger 
And he is authenticated as a messenger because he will not be deterred. He will not be deterred in his ministry. He, he won't quit. <laughs> the guy just won't quit. And he won't quit because he was enabled by God to endure. Isn't that what the choir just sang about and Debbie sang about? God, one more time, is going to bring us through the fire, right? He enables us to be able to endure, and Paul endured so much. Did you notice what he says he endured? He says he suffered, and the word suffered there means physical suffering. He says that he was shamefully treated. That means he was publicly humiliated. It wasn't private. Publicly he was humiliated. And he says he was in much conflict. In that word conflict, we get our word agony from that. The word means a life or death struggle, agonizo. It means to struggle like it's a life and death matter. That's what Paul endured, physical suffering, public abuse and humiliation. And it was a life and death struggle, but he wouldn't stop. I remember when I was in college and seminary, there were little sayings over the chalkboard in all of the rooms. And one of the rooms that I was in again and again and again because many of the theology classes were taught there, over those six years, I and hundreds of other students preparing for ministry and hundreds and hundreds before us and hundreds and hundreds of since saw this statement from the evangelist who was the founder of the university. He said this, the test of your character is what it takes to stop you. The test of your character is what it takes to stop you. Listen, Paul was authentic because he endured valiantly. He would not stop. But what I want you to notice here, even though he endured valiantly, he did not endure silently. He wouldn't stop, but guess what? He wouldn't stop talking either. He wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. Verse 2 says, we were emboldened by God. We were emboldened to share the gospel. We endured, but we were emboldened. Paul was not a man who was a, a self-confident man. He was a God-confident man. And there's all the difference in the world, right? He wasn't self-confident. He was God-confident. And the Bible tells us that the righteous are as bold as a lion but the wicked flee when no one pursues. People who are right, right with God, are given the ability to be bold. Not arrogant, not overbearing, but bold. Folks, listen, we need to pray for ourselves and pray for others that in this world in which we live, we will endure 
and we will be bold. We will be bold. Paul prayed that people would pray for him, that he would be bold. He said in Ephesians chapter six, pray for me that I might speak the gospel as I ought to speak it. Paul knew that he was a messenger. And he was determined to be authentic. He was going to be a, an authentic messenger. He was going to be ringing with authenticity because he had an authentic message. That's what I want you to see next. He had an authentic message. The messenger and the message go together. Always. Paul's enemies in Thessalonica, listen, they literally tried to assassinate him. They were trying to kill him by a mob. But when they were not able to assassinate him physically, you know what they set out to do? Assassinate his character. Assassinate his character. And they began calling into question his message. What he had shared there in Thessalonica for three weeks. Remember, he was only there three weeks. And they began to assassinate his character by calling into question his message. And if you look at verse 3, we are able to discern what they were saying about Paul's message by the way he boldly responds. Look at verse 3, if you will. He says he was ringing with authenticity because his message, notice this, his message was not diluted. It was not watered down. Verse three, he says this, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity. He says our message does not spring from error or impurity. Now the word error there, you need to know this. It means doctrinal error. People were saying, Paul does not share the truth. Paul is not sharing the real truth of God. And then they went on beyond that and said, also there's impurity in his life. He speaks a message with error, doctrinal error, but impurity here, listen, it means moral failure. People were saying things like this. Hey, listen, weren't most of Paul's converts women? Do you notice how many women were around Paul? What's that all about? Well, I think he was just using this message to attract women for his immoral purposes. This is what's being said about the apostle Paul. He says, no, my message was not diluted. There was not a hint of infidelity, not a hint. Doctrinally or morally, there was not a hint of infidelity, and my friends, listen to me, for people who speak for the Lord, that is absolutely necessary as well. And I'm not just talking about preachers and pastors, 
but all of us who are messengers for Jesus, not a hint of infidelity. Doctrinally or morally. Paul could say, listen, I'm a servant of the Lord. I walk the line. I walk the line. And Paul said, my message was not deceptive. It wasn't diluted and it was not deceptive. Verse three, look, he says, nor were there any attempts to deceive. You know what that word deceive means? It means to bait a hook. Put the right kind of bait on a hook and attract the fish with that bait or that lure and then bam. Got some of you thinking about fishing here on Sunday morning, all right? I don't, I don't want to stir that up in you, okay? But listen, Paul was out to catch men and women and boys and girls. He wanted to catch them, but he wasn't going to attract them with a bait and switch ministry. What he wanted to do was this, listen, Attract them to Jesus because Jesus is attractive. Listen, you don't have to bait the gospel to make it attractive. Jesus is attractive. He's beautiful. His message is beautiful and powerful. And so Paul was attracting people to Jesus. One of our missionary staff who was ministering in a very restricted access country. He says this is what his ministry is all about, and he has been so powerful in it for many years. He says, this is what I do every day. Listen carefully, church. He says, every day I make friends and I introduce them to Jesus. He says, that's what I do every day. I just make friends and introduce them to Jesus. Folks, it works. (laughs) And it's not it works, he works. Jesus draws people to himself. What was it Jesus said? He said, yes, I'm going to be lifted up and I'm going to draw all men to me. When we make friends, we have the opportunity to introduce them to Jesus. Now, some of you have heard my little stories about a couple of hangouts that I have when I want to get a cup of coffee and kind of hole up somewhere while I do some thinking and reading, maybe some writing. I I do have a couple of these places, and I'm grateful. Some of you have sent me some gift cards for that, and I'm grateful for those donations to the ministry. And... (laughs) I will still receive them. I started thinking, maybe I should have told the church I kind of hold up in jewelry stores. (laughs) I might might have set the bar a little low. (laughs) But recently, one place where I go, I started thinking, how, how can I take another step in sharing Jesus with my friends who work here? Have all their names in my iPhone, And I pray for them. I know their names because I ask them. And I talk to them. And so back 
in November, the idea came to me. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to send them a Christmas card. I'm going to give each one of them, give them a Christmas card. And it's going to be a Christmas card that talks about the real meaning of Christmas. I'm not going to give them a Christmas card with Santa Claus kneeling at the manger or something. I'm going to give them the real thing. So I found some nice cards. Then I put a personal note inside of it to them. And then I put a nice tip for their kindness to me over the last many months. And then God put on my heart that some of them don't speak English as their mother language. And I thought, well, got an idea. The Jesus film. Jesus films a film, word by word, the Gospel of Luke. Incredible story behind this. I don't have time. But that has been translated into well over 150 languages now. Incredible. How many languages? Somebody's laughing. How many languages? Well, that's a little over 150. I said, <laughs> did, didn't I say over 150? Okay. 1,300 is over 150. I'm just wanting some like that. I'll get that straight. Okay. I was wanting to be safe because if you go overboard, then they accuse you, you know, and then, then you're not authentic. All right. So, so I found the cop with Woody's help, and I got a copy, a couple of copies in Gujarati, a dialect in India. Uh, Egyptian, one form of that. Other languages. And you know, I just put those in there. And folks, listen. Those employees, all of them have come up and told me how grateful they've been to listen to that. And especially the ones who, or to watch it, who, whose language is not English. And two of them took the Jesus film and started kissing it. I've always wanted to learn about Jesus in my language. And one of them came to me a few days after Christmas and she said, hey Sam, I watched that movie on Christmas Eve with a friend of mine. She never goes to church, knows or knows anything. And we watched it and we prayed together at the close when that man led in the prayer. <laughs> now folks, listen. I'm not saying that to pat me on the butt. What is that? Drink coffee. Make friends. Introduce them to Jesus. Jesus is attractive. authentic gospel message. And Paul then says here, I want you to notice in verse four, he says that he did this because he knew Jesus wanted him to live on mission. Jesus' mission, really, listen, love me, live for me. Live on mission for me. That's what Jesus asked us to do. Love me. 
love others, impact the world. We're all on mission. Paul said he had a mission. Look at verse four. He says, and we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak. Paul was a man on a mission. That was his identity. He was on a mission. On a mission, he could say, I have been appointed. I have been entrusted. Do you see those two ideas? This is what Paul's mission was about. I have been appointed by God. I have been entrusted by God with the gospel. I've been appointed by God. God chose me. And friends, he chose you. If you are a follower of Christ, Jesus said, you did not choose me. I chose you and I what? Ordained you that you might go and what? Bear much fruit. You've been appointed. As a Christian, you've been appointed and you've been entrusted with the gospel, just like Paul. Paul says, we were entrusted with the gospel. What does that tell you when Paul says we were entrusted with the gospel? Well, I thought about it this week and there's a couple of things I take from that and I wanna share with you. When we're told we are entrusted with the gospel, that means two things. The gospel is a treasure to be guarded and the gospel is a gift to be shared. The gospel is a treasure to be guarded. And the gospel is a gift to be shared. The gospel's a treasure to be guarded. Folks, listen, we've got to guard the gospel. I mean, the message of Christ has got to be guarded. Paul told Timothy, oh, Timothy, guard that which was entrusted to you. Over and over again, Paul tells that young pastor, keep with security and guard that which has been entrusted to you, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, the Bible says in the book of Jude, and I think it's providential, the book of Jude is the little book right before the book of the Revelation. And the book of Jude says to those living in the last days, earnestly contend for the faith which has once and for all been delivered to the saints. Now he does not say, be contentious in the faith. No, he says, contend for the faith, defend the faith. Folks, listen, we have been given the gospel and the gospel is to be treasured. The most important thing we do as a generation of Christians, listen, is to pass on undiluted the gospel of Jesus Christ to the next generation. But the gospel is a gift. You've been entrusted with the gospel. It's a gift to be shared. Look at what Paul says, verse four, because we've been entrusted with it, we speak it. We don't bury it in our gatherings. We don't bury it in our homes. We don't bury it in our Bible studies. We share it. In the world. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time 
that you shared this gift of the gospel with someone else. When's the last time that you didn't just say, well, listen, the Bible says, and you were trying to win an argument. Well, the Bible says. I understand saying the Bible says. I practice it quite frequently. But I want to tell you, when's the last time you said, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you what Jesus says. I get very concerned with people who want to talk about the Bible all the time, but they don't want to talk about Jesus. Something's wrong. Don't tell me the Bible is precious to you if the author is not precious to you. And until you love Jesus more than you love your Bible, don't say anything. Ask the Lord to take this book and to make you once again fall head over heels in love with Jesus Christ. And then you won't shut up. You won't. You see, too many believers only want to the Bible in the world and just talk about Jesus at church. Folks, I'm here to tell you, we need more than that. We need to talk about Jesus in the world and defend the Bible at church. Because let me tell you where the Bible is most threatened in America today, in churches. In churches where the Bible is pulled down and the standards are pulled down and what has been said by the Lord is set aside out of political correctness. Where does that happen? It's not out in the world. It's not out in politics. It's in the church. Make sure the Bible is defended in any church that you attend and also make sure that you go out in the world to speak about Jesus. Because that's what this world needs. First is people who can share the reality of Jesus Christ. The gospel's a treasure. It needs to be guarded. It's a gift that needs to be shared. And Paul was compelled to do this. Our time's gone. I just mentioned it here. And I'll... My, my sermons are, they, they're like a train, long train, but I can put the caboose on anywhere, okay? <laughs> and it'll be the first car next Sunday. <laughs> but you know what we hear today? Results are everything. Whatever you do, results are everything. But what should our motivation be? What should be our authentic motivation? Our authentic motivation should not be for results. Our motivation is, should be for Christ and our love for him. That should be the motivation. And Paul says, my motivation was not false. He says, I didn't preach about flattery. I didn't preach. I wasn't about finances. Do you see that? We never came with words of flattery. Verse 5. 
I wasn't after your money, not with a pretext for greed. It wasn't about fame. We didn't seek glory from people. He says, no, my motivation was this. Verse four. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God. It's about the Father's approval, right? You know, when I was growing up, I remember how much my dad's approval meant to me. And I can still, to this day, to see his smile of approval of something or his hand on my shoulder, good job, son. That was so motivating. What motivated me more than his hand on my lower back, much lower back, <laughs> was his hand on my shoulder. Good job, son. Proud of you. Folks, greatest motivation that we can have is to please the Lord. He loves us. But we want to abide in his love, right? We want to be people that our motivation is the Father's approval. I tell you, dear friends, within your first 10 seconds in heaven, it will not matter to you that much what the approval of man was in this life. All that will matter is the approval of the Lord. Now, if that's all that's going to matter then, what do you think should matter most now? Now, Lord, I pray that as we have had this time in your word, I pray that you would search our hearts. Lord, help us recognize we are your messengers. We have your message. We have been entrusted with the gospel. Lord, help us to have your message in our hearts as a treasure, a treasure to be protected and help us Lord to have it in our hearts and our mouths as a gift to be shared Lord I pray for us right now that we'll be gripped with a motivation that will matter when this brief life is over the love of Christ. May we be compelled by the love of Christ that he loved us. And may we be compelled to live and abide in his love. 
Lord, I pray this morning that you will draw people by your gospel to your loving heart. And Lord, I pray that you would send us out with your loving heart. In Christ's name.